This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, at the time of recording this podcast, Wall Street right now is in the green right now across the board. In fact, Wall Street is hoping that the Fed will slow rate hikes in the coming days. But we don't know how that's going to really be into effect, really. So Wall Street's making a bet right now that the Fed will slow rate hikes. And so Wall Street's hoping that there'll be more cheap money potentially lying around to be able to invest more. But there's other news that are happening, too. Joe Biden is apparently also in talks right now on the student uh, debt relief program currently right now in the making. And we'll cover that hopefully in the next podcast when more 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 when more details come out for it. And at the same time, a lot of companies have reported earnings. And some of these earnings are they're not looking so good overall, but at the same time, it might also be an overreaction to some of these earnings reports, at least for one of them. But we got some news to be able to cover today. First off, Caesars is in the news. Caesars the hotel, in fact. And we'll get into a little bit more details about that later, but what it could mean for the hotel in the making currently right now. Some exciting news to be able to talk with uh, about that today. Snap reported earnings and their stock is plunging. And I think Wall Street might be overreacting to this when we talk about this stock in particular. But I also think that it has to do with what's happening with Elon Musk and Twitter currently right now and how there's rumors on the street what's happening. <clears throat> Amazon's in the news as well uh, with Hawaiian Air and how they're going to be renting out some of Hawaiian Air's planes Amazon will at least. And finally, we got to end today by talking more on the energy markets, in particularly the EU, how the EU leaders are giving political backing to gas price uh, cap in the making, and how in the Asian markets, the Asia's energy supply looks secure even as Europe continues to scramble. And why is that? And so we'll cover that in today's podcast. With that being said, I have to remind you all that I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any company, as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Your financial advisor would know a lot better than I would. I cannot legally give you financial advice. This podcast is for entertainment and education purposes only. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Caesar and developer SL Green pitched Times Square casino plan. Hmm. So next time you're in Times Square, you might actually be seeing a Caesar's gambling place at Times Square. That makes things a little bit more interesting to visit Times Square, I guess, right? So developer SL Green Realty is working with casino operator Caesar's Entertainment on a bid to bring a casino to New York's Times Square, the company's announced Thursday. The partner said that the proposed project would redevelop Times Square building 1515 Broadway into Caesars Palace Times Square, which would include Broadway theater that will be the home to The Lion King and other entertainment attractions. They also promised the development would accelerate economic recovery for surrounding businesses in Times Square, as well as create good paying union jobs in New York. In April, New York State approved up to three full service casinos for the down. Uh, downstate New York area with two licenses likely to go to existing casino operators. 
Resorts World's Racetrack Casino in Queens and the Empire City Casinos on Yonkers Raceway, north of the Bronx. Now competition for a third license that Caesar is aiming for is heating up amid a public bid for casinos in nearby Hudson Yards and related companies and Wynn Resorts. Quote, we believe that Times Square offers the best location for a new resort casino that can attract tourists and benefit local businesses. Our approach will ensure that underrepresented communities benefit both in terms of employment and investment opportunities, said Mark Holliday, CEO of SL Green, in a statement. Holiday added that because the project will be renovated instead of a new construction, the operation can happen quicker than other proposed facilities. And without changes to the law or distribution of local communities, in 2013, New York voters approved of the constitutional amendment that granted seven full-scale casino licenses for the state, four of which were in the regions upstate and the remaining three allowed, uh, allocated for the New York City area. The approval process is expected to be the length and costly of the licensing cost at least $500 million each. Caesars Palace Times Square will be 100% privately funded. The SL Green and, and Caesars Entertainment said with Caesars managing the casino operation and brand. You know, if a casino does enter Times Square, it'd be very interesting to see if the not only the economic situation improves in that area of New York, but it also makes me wonder how much security would become beefed up in Times Square. And all honestly, I've been hearing reports and reading reports sometimes that apparently crime is up in New York. I don't know about Times Square as much, but there have, I guess there have been reports too that there have been some incidents happening at Times Square. So if Caesars were to move in, I mean, Caesars is most likely putting it there because they believe that, well, obviously they believe they can make money, but I believe a company also wouldn't be putting a casino in an area if they didn't believe crime was as high. So maybe crime isn't as high as we thought it was in New York. But at the same time, this is going to make New York a little bit more interesting to see the gambling industry go to Times Square. I mean, how much longer until you start seeing more casinos within Times Square? That would be a very interesting thought in the making. And all honestly, think about that, okay? If you're going to visit Times Square, you might stay at the Caesars. Maybe you want to gamble a little bit as well. But at the end of the day, that it would be a booming, absolutely booming economy in the making for Times Square. It would be. Obviously, bad times would affect Times Square too and Caesars there because casino stocks get hit heavily when the economy's in the in the dumpster. But this could make things more interesting for Times uh for Times Square and for Caesars. If you actually look up all Caesars locations right now, they're in a lot of states. You would never think about it. But New York it would be a first, I believe, for them at the end. So Continuing on with the articles, Snap shares continue to plunge on disappointing Q3 revenue. Oh no, Snapchat is falling? I mean, that doesn't surprise me overall. I mean, the advertising budgets for these companies are being affected as the economy goes south. A lot of companies are cutting back on advertisements. And Snapchat, they're just feeling it most likely. From CNBC, shares of Snap fell 29% in trading Friday morning after investors continued to digest the company's third quarter earnings report that was released Thursday night. The company posted an unexpected profit, but revenue missed estimates slightly, coming in at $1.13 billion versus $1.14 billion expected, according to Refinitiv survey of analysis. The social media company had suffered as a result of the struggling online advertising market, Apple, data privacy update in 2021, has limited the ability of social media companies to track users online which has continued to hurt the company. Bernstein analysis Mark uh, Shamok downgraded the stock Friday morning to market performed from outperformed to reduce the price target from nine from 15. And a note 
to investors. It's, it's They're saying that there's still hope for the company. Snap's untapped potential remains yet where unlikely to see near-term infection, inflection, winning back investors and our own confidence will take time. Barclays was more optimistic in the analysis of Snap's performance, reiterating an overrate rating on the stock after saying that Snap has a long history of overcoming challenging transitions. The company has managed to continue to grow in popularity with daily active users increasing 19% year over year in the third quarter. Shares are shares of Snap are down about 77% year to date. I believe Snapchat is back on the rise again. I do. And the only reason I say that is being a coach, you kind of get to see the trends with the young people sometimes. And young people right now, recently, they were all like, hey, coach, do you have a Snapchat? And I was like, no, I don't. And it's interesting because now that I'm hearing it from them, it gave me an idea of, oh, Snapchat must be on the rise again, I guess. And CNBC is reporting that, yeah, it is. So Snapchat might be in popularity again, which also makes me wonder what Facebook's going to be able to do because Facebook's Instagram is to compete with Snapchat. Obviously, Instagram has its advantages, right? People love just being able to post photos on the social network in general. But the social media network world, I mean, if Snapchat ever does well, then you have to expect that Meta formerly known as Facebook, would have to be able to start doing well as well because those two compete with each other for market share overall. But what's also interesting too, like I said, it says the company has managed to continue in popularity with daily active users increasing 19% year over year. And they have had a long history of overcoming challenging transitions. We'll pay attention a little bit more to Snapchat going forward. But as of right now, at least from what I've been reporting on this podcast overall, as the economy suffers, advertisement revenue falls. And Facebook and Google, well, Google in particular is feeling it for sure in some way, whether they admit it or not, or not is another story. But it wouldn't surprise me either if Facebook's feeling it as well. I don't even know when Facebook reports earnings. Maybe they already have, or maybe it's coming up. But how Facebook does, or if they've already reported earnings, might determine how the market goes going forward with the social media companies currently right now. But I also wonder if one of the reasons why Snapchat shares are falling so hard is because of what's going on at Twitter right now too. There's reports that Elon Musk wants to lay off about 75% of the the staff at Twitter, the company, when he takes over. But Twitter's saying something else right now too. CNBC is saying that Twitter tells employees there are no plans for layoffs. Twitter on Thursday clarified to staff that there are no plans for the company-wide layoffs since it's signed a deal to be acquired by billionaire Elon Musk after a media outlet reported that Musk is considering layoffs at the company. Twitter general counsel Sean Edgett emailed employees on Thursday saying the company does not plan layoffs according to a source who viewed the email. The Washington Post reported early on Thursday that Elon Musk told prospective investors in his deal to buy Twitter that he planned to get rid of nearly 75% of the company's 7000 1,500 workers citing interviews and documents. The job cuts are expected in the coming months, no matter who owns the company, according to the Washington Post report. Twitter's current management plan to par the company's payroll by about $80 million by the end of next year, a number that would mean the departure of nearly a quarter of the workforce, the report said. So I wonder if one of the reasons why Snap is being hammered hard is because Wall Street believes that this is going to end up happening to Snap too. Or maybe they're just overreacting because... I mean, it's kind of like domino effect, right? Like, oh, there's a chance Twitter might be laying off employees. Oh, Snapchat just had a bad report and they're th still thinking of social media because they're both intertwined and then the stock gets hammered. It's hard to tell. 
but it's just food for thought. We'll continue paying attention to Snap and obviously Twitter as well when we can and report the news when we can about them to see what's going on. But Twitter saga continues with Elon Musk and Snap might be overblown. It's not financial advice, but Snapchat might have fallen a little too far down for stock price currently. Not financial advice. Continuing on in the tech industry, though, Amazon hires Hawaiian Air to fly rented Airbus cargo jets to replace older freighters. Ooh. Amazon has hired Hawaiian Airlines to fly the first Airbus cargo planes in the retail giant's air network, aircraft that will help replace older jets as the carrier becomes the latest passenger airline to fly for the company. Hawaiian will fly at least 10 Airbuses, the A330-300 converted freighters for Amazon, which is the first one starting in the fall of 2023, the carrier said in the filing. Hawaiian shares surged as much as 13% early trading following the announcement. The Airbus jets, which will be the largest in the fleet, are not for net growth, but instead meant to replace older aircraft getting phased out of of their lease expire or are close to the operating life of Amazon spokesperson told CNBC. Amazon has expanded has expanded its dedicated air unit in recent years, whose operations are outsourced by several airlines, including Atlas Worldwide Holdings and ATSG, which fly Boeing 767s for the company. The planes which uh, with which Amazon began the air arm. Amazon's still figuring out which of the older jets will be phased out, the spokesperson said. Sun Country, a leisure-focused carrier, began flying converted Boeing 737 freighters for Amazon in 2020 when travel demand collapsed early in the COVID pandemic. These A3030-300s will not only be the first of its kind in our fleet, they will also be the newest aircraft, uh, largest aircraft for Amazon Air. Allowing for us to deliver more customer packages in each flight, uh, said the director of Global Air Fleet and sourcing said the Airbus news release. You know, Amazon is going to keep doing what they can to grow. And this is just a thought I'm having as I'm reading this article. Because this this is what it also says too. It says, under the agreement, Hawaiian is issuing warrants for Amazon to acquire up to 15% of its stock ex- exercisable over the next nine years. Amazon has similar agreements with other air cargo providers, ATSG and Atlas. What if Amazon is getting ready to buy out a plane company? In all honesty, I could see it happening. Okay. And the reason I say that is Amazon is just growing, growing, growing. Now, obviously one day Amazon's not going to be growing as much, but they're the, but they're the number one deliverer for packaging. I mean, a few years back, I think it was Amazon stopped working with UPS and FedEx, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they have their own planes that fly their packages too. But what if package delivery companies, and this is just a thought, what if they start buying out the airlines? And all honestly, like you you could be flying like in a Hawaiian airline plane or something. And obviously there's like packages underneath the planes. And during COVID, I guess a lot of airline attendees were saying that planes were still flying because they were also delivering packages and stuff to areas or they were helping deliver supplies. I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. I can't prove it, but it'd be interesting to see Maybe that's Amazon's next big purchase in the future. They're just going to buy out a complete airline. That'd be really interesting to see if that were to happen. But at the same time, would the DOJ allow that to happen as well? I mean, the airline industries don't make money as it is. I mean, or if they do, they're like very thin profit margins or something, if I'm not mistaken. Because that's why they come, they make the plane so tight because they make more money that way. But it'd be interesting to see. Will Amazon do that? It's just food for thought. I mean, they might do it. They might not. But at the end of the day, there's this, they're, they're making this agreement because it says here, 
Two, it says air cargo was a hot segment of aviation during the pandemic when consumer travel plunged and port snarls drove up rates. But the markets has since cooled. A surge in travel has meant more capacity has entered the market in passengers' belly planes. Port congestion eased and consumer habits shifted, driving down the cost of air cargo. So what if they do that? That'd make things really interesting overall. You're flying your Amazon plane and all of a sudden there's ads on the plane to buy their products and services. Oh, that would be hilarious to see. But at the same time, that could happen. It's just food for thought right now. I mean, Amazon is trying to do use drones to deliver packages too. So, and of course the airline industry is also trying to get more into the startups of being able to fly commercial planes within cities to allow travel faster for people. So... We'll pay attention to that. It's just a thought. It's not financial advice. Just a thought. What if Amazon buys a plane company? That'd be interesting. And we'll end today now by talking about energy. EU leaders give political backing to gas price cap, but details yet to be hammered out. From Brussels, from CNBC, the European Union on Friday moved one step closer to establishing a cap on gas prices after several months of discussions with Germany now conceding the idea makes sense. The EU has been battling against the unprecedented energy shock stemming from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. However, the actions thus far to curb gas prices have come mostly from national governments rather than from the EU-wide level. One of the biggest stumbling blocks has been the over whether to impose a gas price, which Germany and a few others wary of potential repercussions from the policy. Germany's Chancellor uh, Olaf said in Berlin on Thursday that this always harbors the risk that the pr- producers will then sell their gas elsewhere. However, after negotiations with the European counterparts that dragged into the early hours of Friday morning, Schultz agreed to go ahead with the measure. Albert and and Kavitz, such as the need to design in a way that it does to drive up consumption. Belgian Prime Minister Alexandre de Croo told CNBC on Friday that Germany has legislation concerns. De Croo Uh, Decrew said that the heads of state licensed to one to another looked to bridge all their differences. This is a big step forward, he added. Before gathering started, expectations to see the 27 leaders coming together on a price cap were very low. The Prime Minister of Luxembourg noted that there were a lot of taboos, but they were also resolved during the summit. Quote, we didn't decide everything, but we gave homework to their energy ministers and we were able to agree on the list of things which to do. A big step. A dynamic price cap. The political support for all 27 heads of state means that in the coming weeks, European Energy Minister and the European Commission, an executive arm of the EU, will be working on the technicalities of how the temporary dynamic price uh, corridor is going to work. This is expected to establish a flex range of gas prices, but w- but more precise details are expected to be in the next two or three weeks. After that, Belgium's de Cruz said that the implementation could be quite fast. Regardless of the details, the cap is only temporary policy. That is not expected to be in place. Only a second benchmark is established. At the moment, the European natural gas prices are reflected via the Dutch tile transfer facility, but EU leaders have agreed that this benchmark will no longer reflect the reality that most of them are receiving liquefied natural gas rather than the pipeline gas. And so the plan to become second benchmark in place by the end of the first quarter of 2023. European gas prices have spiked in the wake of the tensions with Russia, which has used to be European main seller of natural gas. At their peak, prices climbed over 340 euros or 332.6 per megawatt hour in late August. Europe is screwed. They are. Trump warned them. He did. There's video of it saying, you're relying too much on Russian gas. And they laughed at him. And now Europe's going to get the 
They're, they're going to be pay, feeling pain. And at the end of the day, the price cap, it's not going to work in my opinion. Companies want to make money. They'll just send their gas elsewhere. I mean, we've already talked about in past podcasts, Russia, Russia oil and gas is already getting to Europe through China because China has no demand for it right now. If China ever gets demand for oil again, then you can expect Europe to suffer a little bit more than they already are. But this is where things get interesting too. Europe has talked about using coal and nuclear energy and all that, but they've been kind of hush-hush about it right now too, okay? But in Europe, what's happening in the Asia markets, they're doing the opposite of what Europe is doing, okay? In the energy sector from CNBC, Asia's energy supply looks secure even as Europe scrambles. As Europe struggles with power shortages, Asia-Pacific power supply remains secure, mainly because the region still uses a lot of coal, data has shown. While the liquefied natural gas supplies in the region redirected to Europe, power generators in Asia not only have less access to LNG, but they have opted out to buying more expensive LNG driven by strong demand in Europe. Europe is struggling with gas shortages as Russia cuts its supplies forcing many countries in an energy crisis in the lead up to winter. The UK's national grid has warned of possible power cuts. On Tuesday, the EU steered away from a proposed price cap on Russian gas. Obviously, that's changed since Friday because the report I gave you was from Friday. As it laid out new measures to tackle high energy prices, Russia has previously said it would halt all fuel supplies to the EU if the bloc imposed these caps, which suppresses Russian revenue and price of commodities. Doesn't matter, Russia's going to end up selling it to another country in the end anyways. The S&P Global Chief Financial Energy Strategist said that while the crunch in Europe and the war in Ukraine have forced up prices of fuel such as oil and gas globally, it has not hurt Asia energy generation. Quote, in Asia, instead of using gas, countries are using coal because coal is here, coal is domestic, and less expensive. The downside is that Asia, which is growing gas consumption, has stopped at least for now. Unlike Europe, which relies on gas for energy creation, gas is less relevant to Asia. It only forms 11% of its power mix and import LNG forms a small part of, of that which is most gas coming from domestic production. Wood McKenzie, head of the Asia Pacific Power and Renewables Research, Alex Whitworth said, Coal takes up a large portion of the mix. Although it is falling, Whitworth added, the share of coal and power generation for Asia-Pacific markets is more than 60%, he said. Separately, Asians' LNG imports have fallen due to high prices. According to the International Energy Agency latest gas report, Asian spot of short-term LNG imports fell 28% in the first eight months of the year compared with the same time last year. Overall, LNG imports fell 7% year-on-year. Imports to China, now I don't believe this is 100% correct, and maybe it is because it's more updated, says now the biggest global LNG importer fell the most by 59%. The decrease in LNG imports for Japan, Pakistan, and India were 17%, 73%, and 22% respectively, the IEA said. The agency explained it wasn't just high prices deterring Chinese buyers, but also the country's slowing economy milder winter temperatures, and strong domestic production of its own gas and coal. And continuing on, these factors have set up opportunities for more coal used in Asia amid efforts to reduce the use of fossil fuels. For example, Korea Electric Power Corporation has started using more coal in recent months, according to the Institute of Energy Economics and Financial Analysis. The company used about 26% more coal in July this year compared with the, more, with the previous months, 
but that's still lower than the volume used last year, the data from the IEEFA showed. And we'll end it there about talking about this, but you know, the coal industry, that might be another industry that might be growing soon. As long as the war for Russia and Ukraine is still happening between those two nations, gas is going to be in high demand. Okay. Asian countries are going to be totally fine. It looks like across the board. Obviously China has to get their no COVID policy down to zero before they reopen. And that's going to be a mess within itself. If China ever fully reopens, they're going to be in such a demand for energy. They're going to be using everything. You you can almost bet they will use everything. They'll be like, we need gas. We need coal. We need solar. They're, they're just going to go for everything to revamp their economy when the time comes. Coal could be a big investment. And I'm not. this is not financial advice. But the only reason I'm saying that is the Asian countries are using coal. It's cheaper for them at least. They're not importing gas, which is fine. Europe is struggling to get gas in. We've just read about it. They need more energy. Winter's coming coming for them. Most of Asia countries, they don't have to worry about the cold as much. Europe does. And Europe is not using as much coal. Maybe that's what Europe needs to start doing, start importing more coal from these Asia countries. It's a dirty, a dirty, dirty old fossil fuel, as they claim it to be. But at the end of the day, if you have people who are needing energy to survive, you got to do what you got to do. Europe has pretty much backed itself into a corner. Like I said earlier, President Trump spoke and he flat out said to Europe that you were relying too much on Russia. And they laughed at him. They did. Now Europe is feeling it. At the same time, Asia, they got smart and realized, oh, we'll just use coal. And Asia is probably going to survive a little bit longer. But as long as this war keeps happening, gas prices are going to continue going up in some way, shape, or form. Europe's going to struggle. seems like Asia is going to be okay. I mean, if you wanted to invest in coal, I guess you could look into the Asian markets. Not financial advice, obviously. But it seems like the coal industry might be on the rise. Might be. Not 100%, but it might be something that might be more talked about. What I'm also curious about, too is what technologies come out if coal starts becoming more in use? Like what technology gets made to be able to make sure that the dirty fuel that it is for the coal isn't going to affect the environment that they keep telling us it will. It'd be interesting to see. But Asia, they're in the right they're in the right mindset right now to switch over to another energy source. I wouldn't be surprised if the next report comes out that says they're not importing any gas. But the next time they report this, it'd be interesting to see. But yeah, good for Asia. Using their own natural resources within their own country. wonder if Joe Biden should take a note from that too, so we can drill in our own nation as well. That'd make things more interesting. But he probably won't. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. As every like and subscription helps grow this channel. So we'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening within Wall Street that Wall Street isn't always willing to be able to talk about. Please also share with friends or family as they might enjoy this content as well and get the news of what's happening out there. Because like I said, this isn't always being shared out there. So at least with us in the world in general. With that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.